Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you here today. Uh, Great to have you. And to those who are going to be watching today up in Port Perry, a huge shout out to you. I heard yesterday that our friends up in Port Perry, uh, they participated in a Port Perry event, which is all about the Canada Day uh, long weekend. And they handed out, I think it was over 2,000 balloons yesterday filled with helium. I I heard that they actually ran out of helium. I think that was because Pastor Joel was like, you know, you know, inhaling it and speaking in a funny voice. Uh, And so, but a huge shout out to all our friends up in Port Perry. And thank you so much for the engaging conversations that you had and, and just loving Port Perry. So let's give Port Perry a huge round of applause. Thank you. Well, happy Canada Day long weekend to everybody. It just seems that across our whole country, I don't know if you've been watching leading up to yesterday's events, but it seems that our whole country is really behind celebrating, you know, 150 years as a country. And, and I love, you know, that this is, you know, one of those weekends that we are proud to be Canadian. I think we're always proud, but it seems that national pride is at its highest this weekend. And I'm sorry, we're just not going to say we're sorry this weekend. Okay? So, yeah, we're just not going to say we're sorry, but we're sorry that we're saying that. I was listening on one of my drives into work this week. I was listening to one of the radio stations, and, you know, they were leading up all week long to to the Canada Long Weekend and to celebrating everything. And they were trying to find the quintessential Canadian news stories that they just felt captured Canada and captured us as a Canadian people the best, and they narrowed it down to two, and here, here's their top two. One of them was this, two guys in Saskatchewan broke into a beer store dressed fully in hockey equipment. One, one guy was dressed as a goalie, and he even had the goalie mask on, and he was carrying a goalie stick. And, and, and if you go on the radio station and you look, they actually have footage of it because, you know, the beer store had footage. And so the guy breaks in, and he's got his goalie stick under his arm, and he's busting in, and he's kicking, and he hits the, with the goalie stick. He hits into, you know, to the coolers, and he grabs a bunch of beer, but he never drops his goalie stick. Because goalies are taught, you never drop your goalie stick. And on the way out, he's running out, but he's still got his goalie stick tucked under his arm. And I think, oh man, that's quintessentially Canadian, right? You know, dress up as hockey players. The second one, which is kind of unfortunate, but it's funny, in my opinion. And I'm not the best filter for everybody. I understand that. But here's the, the other one. The one. This woman was on the way to visit her sister in the hospital because her sister had had a car accident when her sister's car hit a moose. And on the way to the hospital, the lady hit a moose. <laughs> Honestly, not making this up. Double moose hits in the same family. Now, if that's not Canadian, I don't know what is Canadian, right? You'd like, you don't hear about that everywhere. Well, I just think there's so much that's fun about our country. I love that we're able to laugh. We're even able to laugh at ourselves. And it's one of the things that is so wonderful about our country. Uh, Jen and I have had the privilege of traveling uh, a fair bit around the world. And one of the things that we always make sure is that our Canadian flag is visible, either on our, on our luggage or on our clothing or, or wherever we can actually get it. Because people love Canadians around the world. And so it's so proud. It's so good for us to be Canadians. One of the things that Canada is known for, one of the things that I think we love about our country, is that we're very welcoming. We're a welcoming country. 
I think, you know, this really came to a head for us, and I think we saw this, uh, you know, when we witnessed what happened during the Syrian refugee crisis recently. Uh, you know, our country opened its doors, and, and even, you know, per capita-wise, we, we brought in, you know, more people than a lot of countries. We live in this huge country. We live in this vast country. There's tons of room, and what we say as Canadians is, you're welcome. If you want to come and be part of Canada, you're welcome. We would love you to come and join us. I personally know refugees from East Africa who are now living in Canada because Canada has, an ex- has extended an invitation for them to come and live in Canada to start a brand new life. The reason that this touches home to me and the reason why this is so important is I'm an immigrant. In 1972, my mom and my dad packed up three boys. I was 16, my brother was 12, and my other brother was 11. And, and, and we jumped on a plane to a country that I'd never been to. They announced to us about a month or two before that we were moving to Canada. And so Canada holds, you know, this great value for me because Canada is a country that opened its doors to me. And so I was able to come to Canada and I'm able to have what I consider a much better life as a result of coming and living in Canada. I remember when I first arrived in Mississauga. That's where we came to. We came to Mississauga. I remember, you know, that it was, it was really funny for me at first to come in October to Canada and to, you know, to come into this new country. I dressed differently than everyone else. My, my wife Jennifer loves to tease me because back then, if you can believe this, I had my Bay City roller pants. That's what I wore. I don't know if anybody ever remembers, but in, in Britain, they were a big thing. I don't think they were here, right? (laughs) But I dressed differently than everyone else. If you can believe it, back then when I first came to Canada, I had hair down to my shoulders, and that wasn't cool either under any circumstances. (laughs) And the thing that was a dead giveaway was I, I spoke with this funny accent. In fact, I remember going to school. I arrived in Canada on a Saturday afternoon, and Monday morning I started school. Now, in hindsight, that wasn't the brightest move on my parents' part. But I started this school on on Monday morning, and I had no idea what a homeroom was. I remember going into the guidance counselor, whatever a guidance counselor is, and they said to me, oh, your homeroom is this. And I'm like, what's a homeroom? I'd never heard of it. And so they sent me to my homeroom, and then they said, the good news, you're going into grade 10. And I'm like, what's grade 10? I had no idea what a grade 10 was. I knew that it was S11 back in, in Ireland, but what was grade 10? And then What was really great, I mean, my first day was horrible. It was terrible. And it wasn't just because I didn't understand, you know, what a homeroom was and and I didn't understand what grade 10 was. But some teacher, based on all of their great training, thought that it would be really good to have the new kid with the funny accent read out loud in English class to the whole class. So I start reading out of this book and I'm talking about all the things that are in this book and everybody's laughing at me. So I'm like, what the heck? Mom and Dad, why did you even bring us here? It's a God-forsaken country. The people are all weird. So my first six months in Canada, I was in major culture shock. I'd moved from one country to another country, but, you know, inside my mind as a 16-year-old boy, it was as if we'd moved actually from one planet to another planet. I I had no clue. I I didn't understand almost anything. This morning I want to camp in a passage of Scripture 
In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. So if you got a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. This summer series that we're going through is about the prayers of the Apostle Paul. We have a number of prayers recorded for us. And, and as Pastor John kicked off the sermon series last week, you'll remember that John said a couple things. He said, one of the things that's really good for us to do as followers of Jesus Christ when we want to sort of spice up our prayer lives a little bit, when we, when we want to, you know, add some variety and newness and freshness to our prayer lives, one of the things that we could begin to do is pray back Scripture to God. Now, last week John said, you can pray any passage of Scripture back to God. You, you can just open the Bible at any particular point, and, and you can read it and understand it, and you can actually read it back to God as a prayer, and you can begin to even personalize it. There are promises, there are principles throughout the whole of Scripture that you and I can incorporate into our prayer lives. But what John said was, he said, but there's an added bonus when it comes to the actual prayers that we have for us in Scripture in that we believe that all of the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so when we have prayers that are then included in the Scripture, these prayers almost take on this kind of special designation because the Scripture is is inspired. And so these prayers are actually inspired. These are actually prayers uttered by Paul in the case that we're looking at this summer, but they're really Holy Spirit prayers. And so that's great. So you and I can take these prayers and we can pray them back to God. So this morning I want to talk to you about this prayer, this prayer that Paul gives in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's somewhat like a prayer report, but I I want us to understand it clearly this morning. So that this week, this week you can start to pray this prayer back to God. But in order to pray it back to God, we need to understand the prayer. We need to understand what Paul is saying so that, you know, it resonates with us and we can, you know, fully engage in the prayer. So here's the prayer. Paul says this, starting in verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling And that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, automatically, as soon as you read this, you know we got a little bit of a problem. Because it starts with these words, with this in mind. Well, with what in mind? (laughs) What what are you talking about, Paul? Well, obviously the things above, the things that Paul has already been saying in the first 10 verses are the things that you and I need to study this morning, we need to interact with, we need to understand, because Paul's prayer is based on what's above. With this in mind, with verses 1 through 10 in mind, we can then enter into verses 11 and 12, the actual prayer, and pray them effectively in our own lives. So that's what we need to do this morning. Now, in the original Greek language... This whole chapter, chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, these 12 verses, is only three sentences. Paul is kind of infamous for this. He loves run-on sentences. <laughs> He's the king of run-on sentences. And verses 1 and 2 are run as the first sentence. And then verses 3 through 10 is the second complete one sentence in Greek. And then the last sentence in Greek is verses 11 and 12. And so we can take them in those kind of three chunks. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on verses 1 and 2 because it's a very typical greeting from the Apostle Paul. He's writing it to the church at Thessalonica, and he's introducing himself and the other pastors, the other lead team that is with him of Timothy and Silas. 
But then Paul begins to unpack some things that ultimately then lead him to this prayer in 11 and 12. And we need to understand these things this morning if we're going to pray this prayer back to God this week. So in verses 3 and 4, we see Paul bringing out the theme of thanksgiving. That's the first thing that Paul does in verses 3 and 4. Look at 3 and 4. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all of the persecutions and trials that you're enduring. Paul says that as he thinks about the Thessalonian church. Now remember, Paul is the guy who planted this church. Paul started this church along with his team, along with uh, uh, Silas and, and Timothy. And Paul has already written them a, a letter previously, but Paul has been disconnected from them physically for a while. And Paul starts off by saying, you know what? Every time we think of you, we're thankful. We give thanks every time we think about you. Every time you come to our minds, we're thankful. And Paul, what are you actually thankful for? Well, he says a number of things. First, he says, we're thankful that your faith is growing. We're thankful that the reports that we hear is that you haven't given up in your faith, that your faith is growing, it's increasing every single day. We're also really excited to hear that your love is increasing, that you guys are exhibiting love to one another and to the community around about you. And from what we hear, it's better today than it was a year ago. It's better today than when you first started out. And we're really thankful for that. We love that. Then the third thing that he says is, we're thankful because we hear that you're persevering in the midst of trials and persecution. We know that you're going through hard times. You're going through hard times when we planted the church, and those hard times have continued even to this day. But what we hear about you, the reports that we hear, is even in the midst of severe trials and persecution, that you're persevering, that you're standing firm, you're standing strong, and that you are not just passively standing back and taking a beating, but you're actually thriving in the midst of persecution and trial. And he says, every time we think about you, we're thankful for that. See, what I think Paul is really saying about this church and his people is that Paul is thankful that they are holding on to the eternal values that Paul and the other pastors had taught them. So on this Canada Day, what are you thankful for? As you think about your friends and your family, what are you thankful for? What comes to mind? As you think about C4, what are you thankful for? What comes to mind? You see, the reason why this is so important is this. What we are thankful for reveals our values. What we're thankful for actually reveals our values. And for Paul, he focused on eternal values. It's interesting that Paul didn't write in his letter, you know what, every time we think of you, I think about that one crazy guy in the fourth row from the back who like holds a chair up when he, when he worships. I think about that guy. Is, it guys, guys, is that guy still there? He's hilarious, that guy. When I think about the church of Thessalonica, oh, I, I think about, you know, your worship team. Is Emily still leading worship? I haven't heard for a while. Is she still leading worship at the church? Because I'm really thankful when she leads worship. Those things are good. There's nothing wrong with those things. And those can be some of the thoughts that come to mind. But what Paul is focusing in here to help us as we get better at praying is he's saying, as I focus on eternal values like faith and love and hope, 
I'm really grateful for you guys. I'm really grateful that these eternal values are, are a mark of your church. It's, it's what you're known for. And Paul even says, I boast all over the place about you guys. Every conference I go to, every place I go, I tell people, man, if you ever want to go visit a church, you should go to Thessalonica because, man, those guys are good. That's what Paul is saying here. And so as you and I, as we think about C4, as we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we're disconnected maybe from our connect group over the summer, as we think about our connect group, what do we think about? Oh, thank God I'm not meeting with those guys every other week now. Oh, it's good to have a break. No! (laughs) If you're feeling that way, get in a new group. (laughs) Or maybe you're the problem. No, anyways... But as you think about them, are you thinking, you know, about these eternal values? Jen and I are at this kind of age and stage now where a lot of our long-term friends are scattering. You know, people are moving, they're downsizing, people are, you know, heading to places like Prince Edward County, Niagara-on-the-Lake, you know, all those kinds of things as they, uh, you know, we're at that age where some of them are retiring early and, and, and doing those kinds of things. And so we don't, you know, run into each other as often. Now it seems that we run into each other, you know, at special occasions like weddings or reunions or those kinds of things. And because we had a wedding in our family a couple of weeks ago, we ran into some uh, of our old neighbors, uh, great neighbors when we lived in Niagara Falls. Uh, They came to the wedding and uh, we hung out with them for a little bit and, you know, did the whole catch-up thing. And inevitably in the middle of the whole catch-up thing, the whole catch-up conversation that's going on, you know, they say or we say, so... Tell us about the kids. What's going on with the kids? And, you know, you regale stories of, uh, you know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's about school. Maybe it's about careers and accomplishments and weddings and grandchildren and all of those kinds of things. All really great stuff. And it's wonderful to catch up on that stuff. But, you know, after that conversation, I got thinking. When someone asked me, how are my kids doing? Because inevitably, that's a question that gets asked. You know, as I reflect, and as I reflect on this passage of Scripture, I think the things that are most important to Jen and I, and I know this are the most important things to Jen and I, because we talk about this all the time as a couple. If I was going to be just fully transparent in front of you today, I actually don't care that much about school. (laughs) We have a kid in school in Chicago. It's great, wonderful, good, it's a good thing. It's not the thing that stirs my parent heart. I don't honestly care that much about their careers. I'm glad that they're doing things that they enjoy doing or that they are really good at. But at the end of the day, that that doesn't really matter all that much to me. The thing that Jen and I hold so close to our hearts is this, that our kids are trying to follow Jesus the best they can in the middle of trying to figure out life. And they're all trying to figure out life. Some of them are sleep deprived because of kids. <laughs> You've got these little kids now and they're just not getting enough sleep and a little more grumpy than they normally are maybe. But that's the thing that stirs our parent hearts. And I'd say the fact that our boys have met and married young women who love Jesus with all of their hearts And actually, not only did they love Jesus, but these young women are so stellar, they even love our boys. (laughs) Like, that's the stuff that really stirs my parent heart and Jen's parent heart. You see, our answer to what we're thankful for reveals 
what we value most in life. I've said this before. The thing that I value more than anything else is that on my deathbed, if I get the luxury of having a deathbed experience, is that my children and grandchildren are standing around me, and more than anything else, that they're worshiping and loving Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters most to me in here. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus said these really important words. Seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be given to you as well. Seek first of top priority, of ultimate value. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all their stuff actually begins to get put into perspective. Well, then we move on to verses 5 to 10. And we see here Paul bringing up what I believe is a theme of confidence. Paul, in his first letter to Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he wrote these words years before. He said, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And now in this second letter, Paul is now writing to them, and he's saying to them, look, I'm commending you because I see great evidence in your lives. And because I see this great evidence of you, in your lives of you with your love increasing and your faith increasing and you standing up under trials, I want to say to you, look, be encouraged. Be confident because clearly you are walking and growing with Jesus. And no matter what happens around about you, no matter what circumstances you fail, you face, and no matter whether you get tripped up in the moment, be encouraged because overall you can have confidence because we see you truly growing in the Lord. One of the things that I've realized in my own Christian walk now, now that I've walked with Jesus for 40-something years, is that growth happens over time. Oh, sure, there are those seasons in life when, when we have sort of spiritual growth spurts, <laughs> But the way that you really measure growth in your life is you stop for a moment and you just begin to look back. And you see how Jesus has been growing you and changing you more into his own likeness. Our contemporary culture, the culture that you and I live in, thrives on choice. We revel in the autonomy to make our own decisions. It's, it's actually our right to make our own decisions and our own choices. And here's some general observations that I have on our culture today. Here's some things that I've observed just in general. The first one is this. I think we have tons of choices. <laughs> like, think about it. I hate shopping. I hate it with a passion, particularly grocery shopping. To get out of grocery shopping, I put sweet things into the buggy so that when we get actually to the checkout, Jen's like, who put this in here? What are you doing? And so now she never asks me to go shopping with her. It's great. But, you know, when it comes to the grocery store, like, how do you get past all the choices? You know, soap and chips and drinks and detergents, and it goes on and on and on. And, and I, do they actually make a difference? I, I, I'm not sure if they do. Online shopping, thousands upon thousands of websites. I'm getting tired of checking my email and having ads come up all the time for things that people think I need. I don't need these things. I don't even want these things. 
I don't even have the money to buy these things. But they pop up all the time. And then there's the great knockoffs. Like you get those ones, especially, you know, if somebody like somehow they get into your Gmail account. And then you start getting these really crazy ones, you know, where, where I'm getting, you know, Dave needs a coach purse. I don't need a coach purse. I wouldn't even know what a coach purse looks like. I know it doesn't begin with K, so some of them are off a little bit, I think. And, you know, my Rolex that has two L's in it, it's probably not the right one. You know, I understand that. But again, I don't need these things. But we have tons of choices. The other general observation that I'll make is this. As the range of choices has increased... I think the significance of each choice seems to be decreasing. Like I said, the grocery store items. Essentially, I think they all do the same thing. In fact, I heard a study, there was some results just came out this past week that says, you know, you know, the hand soaps that we've got that are supposed to, you know, kill the bacteria because they're, they're a certain kind now. Apparently, they, they, they do about the same as an old-fashioned bar of soap. Apparently, there's not much difference. So again, you know, as these choices increase, the actual consequence of those choices just seems to be decreasing. The shirt with the label on it is basically the same shirt and was probably made in the same place as the shirt without a label on it, or at least a recognizable label. And a year from now, my life will likely be unaffected by the websites that I choose. Third thing is I think we have a tendency to try and avoid responsibility for our choices. I think I see that in our culture today. We pass the buck. We play the blame game. It was the environment that I grew up in. Or here's a real great one. It was my parents' fault. We have no-fault divorce, no-fault insurance. We have easy access to abortion. The list goes on and on and on. And all of these are designed to mitigate our responsibility for the choices that we actually make. But the Bible's really clear. And in verses 5 through 10, Paul says, in essence, to the people he's writing to in Thessalonica, look, I got some good news and I got some bad news, okay? (laughs) First, here's the good news. You do have choice. You really do. You have choice. But not about soap and not about clothing and not about those things. But there's a bigger choice that all of us have to make. And Paul, because he's focused, remember I said, on eternal values, you can believe that when it comes to choice, he's focusing on things that are of eternal significance. And so he says this in verse 10. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all of those who have believed, this includes you because you believed our testimony to you. What Paul is saying here to the Thessalonians is this. When we presented you with the good news of the gospel, when we stood up in front of you and told you how our lives had been changed by Jesus, you had a choice to make. And so does everyone who is presented with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we presented you, you made the choice. And the choice that you made was to follow us in following Jesus. And every human being, because God has given us this wonderful thing called choice, every human being has to make that same decision. It's one of the choices that all of us has to make. It's one of the things that all of us are faced with. What do we do with Jesus? What do we do with the claims of Jesus? What do we do with the life of Jesus? What do we do with the scriptures and what the scriptures tell us about Jesus? See, the choice is yours and the choice is mine. And that's the good news. We get to choose But don't just make your choice on some emotion that you feel at a moment. 
Make an informed choice. Make a decision based on doing research. Make a decision that is based on knowledge. Because emotions come and emotions go. And if we choose Jesus, Paul is saying to this church, we have confidence. You and I can have confidence because we choose Jesus. And I'll talk in a minute why that confidence is so important. But Paul says not only is there good news, but unfortunately there's bad news. And and we need to remember this when we present the, the gospel, which literally means good news, that there is a side to the good news that is bad news. And that is in the rejection of the good news of Jesus Christ, there are consequences. So unlike our modern culture that basically says, look, we have so many choices that we don't have to worry about it. And really, whatever I buy, it doesn't matter because there's really no consequences. The complete opposite is true when you base your choices on eternal values. When you make a wrong choice when it comes to things that are eternal in nature, there are consequences associated with those choices. And so Paul says this in verses 6 and 8. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is, look, don't ever get fooled by your modern culture. Don't ever let society tell you it's different. But here's the reality. We are responsible. Each one of us is accountable for the decisions that we make. All of us one day are going to stand before Jesus. Whether we believe that or not is not not the point. If I say to you, I don't believe in gravity and I step off here, I am going down. Whether I believe it or not, it's a reality. And it's the same when it comes to things that are spiritual and when it comes to the eternal. You and I will stand before Jesus one day and we will be held responsible for our choices and we will be accountable for our choices. But not only will we be responsible, but our choices are also significant. Look at verse 9. Paul goes on to say, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. You know, these verses don't seem very (laughs) seeker-friendly. Because Paul is saying, you know, some, some really tough things here about the significance of our choices. We'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of God. See, what, what you understand when you read Paul in this passage and in other passages is this. Paul is always setting up a contrast. And here's Paul's contrast. Salvation is actually about being with Jesus forever and sharing in His glory. And Destruction is about separation from God and void of His glory. And so what Paul is saying here is there's a real significance to the choice that you and I make on what we do with Jesus. On the one hand, there is salvation, and salvation is eternal presence with God, glory, and enjoying God forever, what we were actually created in the first place to do. But if we choose not to live our lives based on eternal values centered in the person and the work and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, then it results in eternal separation. What Paul calls destruction, which is separation from God and not experiencing anything of His glory. And that's significant, my friends, 
But also there's a sense of urgency with this, because if you look at verses 7 10, it says, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all of those who have believed. See, Jesus is Lord right now, is what Paul is saying, but there's a day coming when every eye will see him. There is a day coming when Jesus is coming back again, and he's telling the Thessalonians, look, you've got to live with these eternal values in mind. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. And when you know that Jesus is coming back, and when you live like, and you believe that Jesus is coming back, it changes everything, folks. It changes everything. So how then should we pray? (laughs) How then do we pray verses 11 and 12? Well, let me help you a little bit. So with this in mind, verse 11, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. When you hear the word calling, you think about Old Testament saints. You you think about the Apostle Paul, even himself. And, And you think about these God moments when God shows up suddenly in power, and there's this experience, and it's like, Boris, you will do this for me, right? That's what we think of when we think of calling. But Paul doesn't use it that way. Paul doesn't mean it that way. Every time Paul uses, the Apostle Paul uses the word calling, what Paul does is he equates it with salvation and justification. He says, calling for you is experiencing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's your calling, When you become a Christian, you're now called. You're now set apart. You're now special in God's eyes. You no longer live by the old set of values. You now live by a new set of values, and those values are eternal values. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul said this to another church, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He says, worthy. We understand that we're bought, that we're slaves, that we are filled, that we're set apart. And we're set apart for what? To live the life that God always wanted us to live as Christians. And so we need to remember our calling. We need to remember that we are not our own, that we were bought with a great price, and that you and I have been asked, been invited, been commanded to be slaves to Jesus and to live lives that exemplify that relationship. Then in verse 11, the second part, Paul says this. He goes on in this prayer. The second part of the prayer is that we would know that we're empowered. Look at 11b. And that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. So not only that we would live according to this calling, but that all of the inclinations then of our hearts and our minds that are prompted by faith and prompted by love, that we would know that God wants to empower us to do these things. So God says, I call you to live a life this way, and then as you begin to live the life this way, I don't leave you on your own. I actually give you the power to live that way. See, God never asks us to do something that he never equips us and empowers us to actually do it. God's not like that. Paul wants them to understand that. And then finally, what's our motivation in all of this? What's our motivation? Well, he says in verse 12, we pray this so the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is 
we get to be more like Jesus. He is glorified in us, but he's also glorified because of us. We bring God glory. I started this sermon by talking about the culture shock that I experienced when I first came to Canada. That first six months that I lived in Canada that were terrible for me because I was going through such deep culture shock. And it's because I didn't know much about the country and its ways. Because I didn't really know its people. I didn't really understand all of the values that Canada had that were different than Northern Ireland where I grew up. See, that's exactly what Paul is saying to us in this prayer. Look, he's saying, would you live such lives that are based on heaven's values, that you begin to take on the character and the conduct of Jesus so that as you grow more and more, as you persevere more and more, as your love increases more and more, as your faith increases more and more, that when you actually step from this world into the next world, you reduce the culture shock. (laughs) See, I think some of us are going to be really shocked when we get to heaven. Because we'd be like, wow, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Because we haven't lived that way on earth. And Paul's prayer here for us is that we would live lives here that reduce the culture shock when we get to heaven one day. So I've taken this prayer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, 12, and I've put it into my own words for me and for you. And I'd like to pray it. It won't be on the screen, but I'm just going to pray it for us. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. And before the team leads us in a worship response, I want to pray this for us. I'm going to pray it slowly so that you can think and you can engage with what I'm praying. But this is 1st, 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1, 11 to 12, the Dave Adams version. So Jesus, we keep on praying for ourselves, our families, our friends, and our church, asking that you enable us to live up to who we really are in your eyes. Thank you that you'll put your power behind our faith-filled ideas. And we ask these things so that we can bring you glory now and in the age to come. Thank you for your unmerited favor to us, your sons and your daughters. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.